The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure that you get the best experience. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can sign up to donate just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast to donate. Thank you. And here is the name of an amazing person who has donated to the show recently. She is Kim Bowden. Thank you so much. As well as coffee, you can also follow the Haunted UK podcast on Instagram, Twitter at Haunted UK Pod, and on YouTube. And we have a website coming very soon. So stay tuned for announcements. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips, and even creepy unexplained disappearances? If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience, there will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there, which I know you'll want to check out. The script for this episode was kindly proofread and edited by Marie Waller. For more details about this service, email marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. That's mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. This email address will also be in the show notes. Now, without any further delay, let's get this episode started. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Woodhall Spa Airfield, early 1940s. They got to the NAAFI and went inside. It was bright, warm and a welcome place to shelter from the cold and wet conditions outside. They each had a cup of tea and a bowl of stew and sat at a table by the window while they ate their food and warmed themselves up. Nothing felt weird and nothing was noticeably amiss. Yet out of the window, they noticed two airmen walking on the airfield, presumably returning from a flight. But was it a flight from the unknown?
This is Flight in Time, the fifth and final part of the Haunted UK podcast's listener stories. And for the last time this season, we're going to be amazed, in awe, and let's face it, frightened to the core by your experiences. As usual, the response from all of you fantastic listeners has been phenomenal. So many stories, so many experiences, so many elements of the paranormal, and all brilliant. A huge thank you to each and every single one of you who have taken the time to type out your stories and send them into the show. It's massively appreciated. Our first story is from Ellie who stayed in the pink room in a penthouse, which was far from luxury. Hi. Thank you for taking the time to read my email. I absolutely love your podcast, and it gets me through daily life. I'm not a stranger to anything paranormal. I grew up in a house where we had sage, crystals, and my mother and I went to a spiritualist church. This is my story. This experience still haunts me to this day, and I rarely talk about it. I even went to a white witch to be cleansed. So, I used to keep my horse at a local yard where there was a penthouse, and we used to eat lunch there, have girls' nights with wine, and even have parties. The owner of the yard also lived there. In the penthouse was a room the pink room that always felt uncomfortable. Whenever I walked in, I would feel sick. It felt like I was being watched, like there were many eyes tracking me. I would say this to the rest of the girls, but no one believed me, or they told me I was just being paranoid. One night, we had a Chinese takeaway. The owner said we could sleep over as we were going to have some wine. We all agreed, and we were allocated a room, and inevitably, I was allocated the pink room. Of course, at first I was worried, but tried to shake it off. Determined to be calm and rational about it all, I got into bed, scrolled on my phone for a while, and then fell asleep. But, then I would wake up seconds later, and the following would occur. I would fall asleep, wake up fall asleep, wake up, and this hell kept going on until 3am. It was then that I had the most awful dream. I was running away from a lot of people that I didn't know. They all had scary-looking, grotesque faces, ones you would see in horror movies. Then out of nowhere, a woman with long blonde hair grabbed my hand and told me not to look up. I had a feeling that it was my auntie Christine, who had died a few years before. I bolted up and saw what I could only describe as a dancing Buddha man, glowing gold. I rubbed my eyes, and he was still there. He looked at me dead in the eye, and it didn't feel friendly at all. It seemed to me like it was a demon taking form of something benign, 
something good, maybe even comical, but it did the complete opposite. I woke up, bolted out of there to my friend's room across the way. Terrified and shaken, I asked if I could get into bed with her and she agreed. Grabbing the covers all around me, I felt my feet getting cold. I brought them up to my stomach. It was then I heard a laugh. A man laughing at me, and it wasn't a pleasant laugh. The next morning, I felt so uneasy and scared that I couldn't go into that room alone. Taking a deep breath, I dashed into the pink room and grabbed my stuff. My heart was going like a rabbit the whole time. After this, I tended to my horse and the phone rang. It was my mum's best friend who happens to be a healer and practices white witch magic. She said, you need to come and see me as soon as possible. I went to her house as soon as I could and she performed a cleansing on me, telling me very seriously to never go back into that room. She confirmed that it wasn't a spirit to mess with. To this day, I've never gone back into the pink room. Keep being awesome. Ellie Sansom Thank you, Ellie, for sharing what must have been a very frightening experience. We now move on to Sussex to hear one listener's very moving story. Hi there. I've just discovered your podcast and love listening to it. My story concerns two very strange things that happened to me when my mum died four years ago. I'd like to remain anonymous. We lived down in Sussex, and one weekend in spring, my wife's sisters were both down to watch my daughter in a play. My mum and dad lived in Hertfordshire. My mum had been ill for a few years, and towards the end, she was just a husk of the woman that she once was. My dad cared for her in a hospital bed in their lounge. We knew that she was getting near the end, and on that Friday, I'd arranged to meet some cousins at my parents' house. So, I drove up around the M25 to visit them. By Junction 10, I was involved in a five- or six-car pile-up, with cars in front, behind, to the right and left of me, all crashing into each other. One even flipped on its side. Yet my car remained unhit, and undamaged in the middle of the carnage. Luckily, no one was seriously hurt, and though I was a bit shaken, after phoning home and then talking to the police who attended, I was allowed to leave and continue on to Hertfordshire. I was completely dumbfounded as to how I wasn't hit. On Saturday night back in Sussex, we went to see my daughter's play. That night, At about 1am, my sister-in-law came into our bedroom and shook me awake. She'd been sleeping on a blow-up bed downstairs and said she'd been woken up by the phone ringing three times. Knowing that my mum was very ill, she thought that maybe my dad had called me. I went downstairs and checked my mobile phone. No missed calls. And also the landline. I dialed 1471, and the last number that had called was my mobile, 
when I'd called home after the crash on Friday. My sister-in-law was convinced that she'd heard the phone. After looking at each other with bafflement and puzzling about what she'd heard, we both went back to bed. Early the next morning, Sunday, my sister called me and told me that my mum had died overnight. I am convinced that my mum was trying to contact me when she died and also that somehow she helped to protect me in the crash so that I could see her one last time on the Friday. I went back up to Hertfordshire later that day and stayed with my dad as the undertakers took my mum's body. When I got home that evening, I checked with our neighbour. Our house is semi-detached and they said they'd heard no phone calls overnight on that Saturday. Not a haunting and perhaps not even paranormal, but certainly two weird things that happened that weekend. Hopefully, this is of interest to you. Thanks for the podcast. It's great. Thank you so much for sharing what must have been such an emotional experience. I think many of us would be very surprised just how many times spirits use technology to contact their loved ones. Whilst it seems extremely creepy and eerie to some, to others, it can bring peace and closure. Our upcoming Season 5 even has an episode dedicated to this phenomenon. But for now, let's move on to our next listener story. Hi there, my name is Joe. I've always been interested in the paranormal. There's a couple of things I would like to share with you that stand out amongst the rest. Feel free to use whatever story where you see fit. At an early age, I was having a couple of premonition dreams, which apparently came true according to my family. One where I talked to my sister about a drowning boy in a shoe found in a local river. I was only five, and within days, a little boy had gone missing, and a shoe was found floating in the local river. Soon after, the boy was found too. When I was a bit older, maybe late teens, I dreamt my sister's house in Hansworth Wood, Birmingham was on fire. It had started in the living room and rapidly spread throughout the house. In my dream, I could see flames coming out of every window and people outside, although I couldn't tell who the people were. I thought nothing of it at the time, because my sister had moved to Ireland and a new family was now living in that house. However, a few weeks later, on the ITV news, there was a report about a family narrowly escaping a fire that spread rapidly throughout their house. The house was in Hansworth Wood, on the same road as my sister's. And as I watched the news, the flames engulfing each window, I could see a group of people, aside from the house, watching in disbelief. I followed the news on this for a couple of days but couldn't get much more. These were the days before the internet, and I was looking for the cause or even where it had started, but nothing more was said. 
I still dream like this from time to time, and will share again at a later date. For now, though, there is another story that I want to share with you. For context, I have three sisters, all older. The sister who I told about the dream and the boy in the river is not the same as the sister that I visited at Easter 2023. I have only started listening to your podcast after stumbling across them during a quiet boat journey back from visiting my family in Ireland this Easter, so very recent. And it got me thinking about my personal experiences of seeing ghosts, and one in particular on an earlier visit to my older sister in Ireland during the summer of 2006. Let me begin. A very good friend and I used to go ghost hunting, as well as attend psychic courses and sessions before her tragic death in 2010. Growing up, I've always been interested in the unexplained, and the older I got, I leaned more towards the paranormal, hauntings, and ghosts. In 2006, I visited my sister in Ireland. She suggested that we... My then-partner, niece, her boyfriend and my sister should venture up to Woodlawn House, a derelict 18th-century mansion that sits about 20 minutes from Berlinerslo in Galway to see what I thought about it. I must stress at the time we went, it was not secured. We did not trespass. It was considered amongst the locals as an abandoned building where kids hung out. Access to the grounds, including the drive along the wooded area, were all open. As we turned off the main road, down the wooded driveway, I remembered that straight away it felt eerie. I tried to tap into the environment from a psychic perspective, but nothing happened. We followed the driveway to what looked like the side of the house, where we all got out. Apprehensive, a little nervous and excited to what we would discover. My niece, let's call her Marie, and her boyfriend Tom got out of the car and ran ahead up the hill to the house. My then-partner Emma was not impressed by the mud and my sister, let's call her June, was a sceptic and not convinced about anything paranormal. Standing at the bottom of a hill taking in this grand building, the architecture, the layout, you could almost hear the sound of the building and the past. Something was definitely imprinted on the grounds. Then, as I started to venture up the hill towards the house, I couldn't believe my eyes. I saw a full-body apparition of a woman dressed in Regency clothing. Wafting. That's what she was doing. She wasn't walking, but more wafting down the hill. Her Regency-style outfit was blue at the bottom, light blue, with a white ruffled blouse at the top. She had her gloved hands crossed over in front of her, and in them was a small handbag, which were all white, Her facial features were not as visible as her body and dress, but I could see that she was smiling, like a daydream had crossed her mind, and I got the feeling she was a young woman, 18 maybe, 
I couldn't believe what I saw. She stopped me in my tracks, and as I paused on the hill, I watched her waft towards me and passed me until she disappeared at the bottom of the hill. I was gobsmacked. I've seen bits of mists and flashes out of the side of my eyes before, but not this. I was completely in awe and no way felt scared. This young woman was witnessed by Emma and June too. June, who is the skeptic, still talks of this lady even today. Composing myself, I carried on up the hill to the main house. As I approached the main house, Marie called me over to a window. I didn't like it. The atmosphere charged with something I couldn't explain had changed. It was suddenly dark, a clouding over if you will, and you could feel the coldness in the air, completely different from the serene apparition that I'd just witnessed. As I approached the window, I started to feel dread and I was nauseated. But curious to take a look, I continued towards the window where Marie and Tom were standing. They looked hesitant. I couldn't work out why, as these two were part of the teenage group that hung out here regularly. The day was bright, midsummer. The sun was out now. Yet here we stood by the side of the building when it suddenly grew grey and overcast again. At least it felt that way. I peered in through the window. The window was big enough for all five of us to look in, and Tom was tall, so that helped. We must have been looking into a hallway. I could see straight down to the light at the other end, and could make out the different rooms off the hallway. I still felt this strange dread and fear. Not wanting to alarm my companions, I made an excuse not to go in. I think they picked up on something too, because they also decided against it. As a group, we all continued to peer into this magnificent space from the window. I tried looking around the hallway, imagining what it would have been like in its day. I was really trying to move past this feeling of dread. There was a small talk amongst the group, and June knew of some of the history too which she shared whilst we all stood there. This next part, I'm not sure if it was my eyes or what, yet this was witnessed by us all. Still feeling immense dread, I could feel my heart racing. It felt like it was going to jump out of my chest. At the end of the hallway, where there was light before, there was now darkness. Black, solid, thick, darkness. The tentacles of this darkness filled the rooms at the bottom, much like when the clouds cover the sun before moving away. The light in the window at the other end was suddenly extinguished and stayed like that momentarily before becoming light again. That could not be missed. Marie asked if everyone saw what happened. There was a collective murmur, but my sister June, skeptic that she was, said it was clouds passing, then tutted. We stood motionless, staring into the hallway, not sure if this was fear or fascination, and not sure for how long, minutes, maybe seconds. 
Then the darkness returned, filling the bottom window, the rooms, and making its way up the hallway. It had a heaviness and purpose about it, defying the day, like a phantom figuratively switching off the lights one by one and scaring the daylights out of us. That was it. I had to go. I ran away. Simple as that. I ran a few meters from the house. So did my sister June, my niece Marie, her boyfriend Tom and my ex-partner Emma. Although none of us spoke. As I looked back towards the house, I sensed that whatever that was, it had completely filled the bottom half of the house with darkness, despite each window being knocked in and facing directly into the sunlight. It was like something had intruded upon it, taken over. We did speak about those events eventually. For my niece, she couldn't explain her feelings, but did not want to talk about it again. I did venture back once, when all of Ireland was open after Covid. I took my new wife there to show her where I saw the lady wafting and to show her the building in general. This time, though, it was completely closed off. CCTV, warning notices, etc. I am led to believe it's been bought by someone to renovate. However, there is a track that runs alongside it that is open, as there are houses in the neighbourhood that use the track regularly. I followed the track and managed to pull up by the side of what would have been the stable yard. You couldn't see much of the house, but in the distance you could only see the back of the conservatory maybe. Yet standing there, even in the wide open space of the stable yard and surrounding fields, I felt dread. I'm not sure what happened on that land, but I am interested to see what happens in the future with the house. I'm also into architecture, specifically older 16th, 17th and 18th century architecture. And if there is someone renovating Woodlawn House, I would love to be able to visit it to review its grandeur from the inside. Thank you for reading my story. Anyway, keep up the good work. All the best. Joe. A fascinating yet deeply unnerving tale. And I feel Woodlawn House is definitely somewhere we should revisit in future seasons. Who was the Regency-era young woman, and can the swirling darkness be explained? Whatever the case, it's certainly crying out for further investigation. And now, we return to England and the New Forest. Ada writes. Hello, this is my experience. I've lived with this for over 13 years and I've always wondered if I'm just losing my mind. I would appreciate to know what you think of this. Flights of fancy, or a true experience. I know what I feel as real, but I wonder if I'm just crazy. My husband and I and the two kids, 10-year-old son who we'll call F, and my 8-year-old daughter we'll call G, moved into our dream home in the New Forest in 2009, it was a five-bed plus granny annex. The granny annex was going to be the kids' playroom, where they could play with all the toys, 
with the hopeful aim of keeping the rest of the house toy-free and tidy. Well, you can hope. The Granny Annex had its own front door, connected to the rest of the house by the utility room next to the kitchen. It had a living room, and upstairs there was a small single bedroom with an ensuite bathroom. Things were a little off from the beginning. The Granny Annex was always incredibly cold, and I always felt uneasy in there. I mentioned this to my husband, who told me it was my imagination, and I was never to mention this to the kids. So I agreed, and I didn't. When my son said that he felt like he was being watched when he was playing his PlayStation, while concerned I just told him it was probably just his imagination. I was working full-time, and after putting the kids to bed, I would be cleaning the house. The previous owners were really dirty people with a love for garishly loud colours. I would be cleaning the kitchen, scraping layers of grime off the kitchen cupboards, or in the living room peeling off the wallpaper. This is when I would sense, then see it. It was always an incredibly dark shadow moving across the hall by the doorway of the small reception room towards the stairs. I would see it go across and then disappear. I would feel very scared, but not afraid for my safety. I would usually hurry up, finish what I was doing, and go to bed soon after. My husband was not supportive, and any mention of these sightings was usually met with laughter and comments about my sanity. Soon I stopped mentioning these strange sightings to him altogether. I do believe in ghosts, but would not mention anything to the kids, though I was always vigilant. Other than my son F saying he felt watched, but not enough that he felt he couldn't play in the room on his own, neither of them said anything else. I slept with my bedroom door open so I could hear the kids in the night. F suffered from nosebleeds, which happened often when he was asleep, so I became a very light sleeper, ready to tend to him when necessary. To give you a visual of the upstairs layout, my bedroom was in the middle, while F's room was at the top of the stairs, and G, my daughter, her room was at the end of a short corridor. G rarely needed me in the night. One year, my mum decided she was going to stay for a month. We prepared the granny annex and made up the bedroom upstairs. My daughter G was very excited, saying that the room was like a hotel bedroom. She wanted to sleep there that night. My heart sank. All of a sudden, I was so scared for her. My husband said it was all in my head and I shouldn't fill the kids' heads with nonsense. So I reluctantly agreed that she would sleep there. She was about nine years old at the time. Taking some control of the situation, I put the baby monitor on in the room so I could hear her. It would take me about two minutes to get to her from my bedroom as she called. Sure enough, later that night, at about 2am, I heard her scream. I ran to her. She said she had a bad dream and she was frightened. She told me 
an old woman was beside her bed and looking at her. I was so scared and suggested she go back to her room. G said no. She wanted to stay in the hotel room. She wouldn't have me stay with her in the room, so I left her with all the lights on in the stairwell and the downstairs living room. I went back to my room and listened to her through the night through the monitor. My husband laughed and told me I was being stupid. My mum arrived, a very matter-of-fact woman who certainly did not believe in ghosts. I didn't tell her anything, but when she said she had the weirdest dream and I asked her what it was, she hesitated and said, It was an old woman staring at me in my sleep. That was it. I was convinced that there was more to these things. Over the years I had a few more experiences. Luckily the kids weren't affected, just me. I continued to see the dark shadow crossing the hall late at night. I have had lucid dreams since I was a kid and had some very vivid dreams here too. However, the worst experience was this. Over the course of two days, I heard very angry voices chanting verses loudly in my ear. It wasn't Arabic, but sounded similar to it, as if I was being told to recant these verses. I was very frightened. Part of me told me that it was just a dream and to let it play, but the other part of me was very scared. On the second night, when the dream began again, part of me recognised it was the same dream from the night before. However, I was then yanked hard towards the end of my bed. I was so scared I woke up. My feet were dangling two feet off the bed. My husband was sound asleep beside me. I cried myself to sleep, curled up in a ball. A few months later, I managed to convince my husband that I needed to sleep in the spare room as his snoring was keeping me awake. I couldn't tell him the real reason, because he wouldn't have believed me. So by now the kids were at university and I had moved into the spare room which was next to G's room and above the kitchen. Months after this, my dog died. I would still hear the chair in the kitchen move like it used to when he was sleeping in the kitchen. My relationship with my husband steadily grew worse. I was drinking a lot and under considerable emotional stress. So I put the kitchen noises, my lucid dreams and sleep paralysis incidents down to this emotional turmoil I was in. My sleep paralysis was becoming more frequent and unsettling. I always slept with a nightlight, but I was often utterly scared following an incident I had. I still thought maybe this was all in my head and not real. A few months ago, I was asleep in bed. I felt a presence in my room. It was a large black dog. In my head, I acknowledged that I was lucid dreaming. The large black dog was my Labrador dog, Roscoe, who had died years before. I was so happy he was there. Then he moved on to the bed. My head said, no doggies on the bed. 
I felt the weight of him on the bed as he started to get up on the bed beside me. I panicked, as then I realized that it was not Roscoe. I could feel the weight beside me and this horrible, ominous presence. Part of me was saying no doggies on the bed, while the other was desperately trying to recite a prayer. The weight was beside me on the bed. My body was tilting slightly towards it, and I couldn't move. I knew I had to wake up, and when I finally did, I was so utterly frightened. I spoke to a friend who suggested burning sage or wearing a cross. Since then, I always wear a pendant from Mecca that my mum gave me. I shut the door to the second reception room every night and my bedroom door too. While I still have sleep paralysis incidents, it's not as severe, but luckily, no more other incidents. Am I mad? Or is this real? Anyway, I thought I'd let you know. I've enjoyed your podcast and would be interested to hear what you think. All the best, Ada. Firstly, thank you so much, Ada, for sending in your experiences. I can't tell you how sorry I feel for you that you weren't getting any support and that you've had to shoulder all of these events yourself. Secondly, no, I don't think that all of this is your imagination, nor do I think that you're going mad. I genuinely feel that your tiredness mixed with your sleep paralysis definitely accounts for some of your experiences, but certainly not all of them. Your children have experienced a presence in the annex. So have you. You've also seen this shadow-type figure inside the main house, whilst fully awake. You've also heard mysterious chanting, as well as the phenomena of moving furniture in your kitchen. It's perfectly possible that your lucid dreaming and sleep paralysis have been magnified by your real feelings and sightings. I would be very interested in the history of the house as well as the land that surrounds it. Is there a history of witchcraft or demonic, satanic worship which has taken place in the area in the past? Was something summoned into our world from elsewhere due to a ceremonial process? Please have faith and belief in what you have seen, and if it makes you feel better, take the advice and burn sage. It won't do any harm, and it may help. I'm an open-minded skeptic, and the paranormal fascinates me, but I strongly feel that everyone who has had an experience should be heard, should be given respect, and should be free from ridicule. Once again, thank you. Remember that you're not alone. There is a huge community that believes you. Our next story was kindly sent in by George, who describes a number of strange incidents which have happened to him over the years. But it's one particular story which takes place in a psychiatric hospital that is very unnerving. Trigger warning. Depression and eating disorders are mentioned in this story. Hi there. Firstly, I must say I really enjoy your podcast and have been a fan since the beginning. I've always been fascinated with ghosts, 
I grew up in Staffordshire and often heard the tales of my family's ghost sightings. I would love it if you could research Alton Towers and the surrounding area in one of your future episodes. Anyway, I digress. My story is quite personal, so I would appreciate it if you would change location names, etc., but it's fine to keep my name. When I was 14, I was in and out of a psychiatric hospital for young people. At the time, I suffered greatly with depression, and I also suffered from an eating disorder. During my second stay in hospital, which was much more distressing than the first, there was a rainy weekend in January-February time. All the main doctors and nurses were off-site, so there was only a couple of staff and about three to four young patients, myself included, in the hospital. The other patients could visit their families on the weekend, etc., but the more seriously ill or new patients had to stay in on the weekends. I was in a dark place, but always maintained a good sense of humour and tried to make friends. That Saturday evening, a couple of new healthcare workers arrived. I remember I was sitting on the sofa with another patient talking about ghosts. I think this was around the time when the woman in black was in cinemas, so it sparked our interest. One of the new staff overheard us and said it's nothing to be concerned about. Ghosts can't hurt us. I replied, I've seen a ghost. Many ghosts, in fact. I remember she was in her 60s. Lots of jewellery and draped clothing. She had a vague look of Stevie Nicks about her, but with short red hair. As the evening went by, I found myself chatting with her and she told me she had come out of retirement to help out and cover occasional shifts like that night. She'd worked in many psychiatric hospitals, including a now derelict Victorian-era asylum, as it was once called. She said she never felt afraid there and didn't mind being alone there either. Later, another new staff member came in. He was male and had also retired, but was helping out. I knew nothing about him, but he came across as being quite awkward, but had clearly done this job before. This evening felt strange. Outside, the rain was now hidden by the jet black night, and evening television was in full flow. we just finished our evening meal, and the topic of a Ouija boards came up. I really, really wanted to experience using an Ouija board, so I talked to the Stevie Nicks nurse, which was now her nickname. And to my surprise, she said, yes, let's do it. I was shocked that she was allowing us to do this, and we began to get items that we could use. Stevie, the male nurse, myself, and about three other patients sat around the table. We'd found a whiteboard and placed it on the dining table, a marker pen was used to write out all of the letters and numbers needed, and a plastic cup served as a planchette. We were now looking at our own version of an Ouija board. Straight off the bat, the male nurse made it clear that he didn't feel comfortable doing this, so just wanted to observe. Stevie was asking the questions, leading the game, which we were all laughing at. 
but she quickly told us to take this very seriously. We placed our fingers over the cup and started. We had all the usual things written out on the board, such as yes and no and the alphabet, and none of us really expected anything to happen. But, to our shock and amazement, the cup began to move as we asked questions. I was convinced that someone was pushing the cup, but we were barely touching it. I even at times was just hovering my finger over it, but it continued to move. All of our faces went white with fear, but we carried on. We made contact with the spirit, found out their name, how they died, how old they were, and even what year they passed. It was all terrifying stuff, but it was when we heard a faint crying sound in the background that things got really scary. We all turned in the direction of the crying sound and found that it was the male member of staff. He told us that we'd just contacted his nephew. The same age, the same cause of death, the same year. His nephew had died of cancer at around 12 years old. He was a strong-looking man, but this was clearly upsetting him. We couldn't believe what we'd just done, and I instantly regretted it, and so did everyone else, I imagine. We asked if we could continue and at least close the game, leaving the spirit in peace, but I had a strong urge to speak out. I asked if heaven was real. And was it how we all thought it would be? The cup moved to no. Some other questions were asked, but it was shortly after this that the Stevie Nicks nurse instructed the spirit to, quote, go into the light and we will leave you in peace. Now leave us in peace, end quote. The following week, we were disciplined by the doctors and nurses. We were told never to do anything like this again as it could be a huge trigger for some patients and could not only be distressful for them, but could also amplify their conditions. I was never affected by this incident, and since then I have fully recovered from my illness and am now living a happy and healthy life. It has, however, given me insight that these games should be taken very seriously and played with extreme caution. And personally, I will never take part in an Ouija board session again. I am a believer in the afterlife and have had the small experience of feeling the presence of a cousin of mine who died young. I felt his hand on my shoulders on the way to hospital to have jaw surgery, a surgery which he also had years before me. I was nervous of the operation, but his presence reassured me that it would be a success. It was, and I have him to thank for calming me down. I also have another story which my friend shared with me and is happy for me to share with you. This is that story. My friend Emma works as a cardiovascular nurse. On one occasion, she had an elderly patient of hers pass away during the night. As she was leaving her night shift, she passed a doctor who was just starting his, 
and in conversation before the handover, she mentioned that one patient had died suddenly in the night. The doctor went white with shock, as he had only just spoken to him in the corridor, walking around and in good spirits. The doctor rushed to the patient's bed, which had now been cleared and emptied. The patient's name had even been wiped from the board. The doctor had to take time off, due to the shock of what he experienced. Maybe hospitals are more sensitive to the paranormal, as life mostly begins and ends in those places. Have a great weekend, and thanks again for the podcast. George Our next story is one of the most unnerving stories I have heard in a long time. It poses many uncomfortable questions about the nature of the afterlife. Hi Steve, here is my story. This is a ghost story as told to me by my father countless times over the years. A very strange occurrence took place during a wedding ceremony at a chapel in a small town in County Amar in 1974. My father was present as the official photographer, and what he told me remains one of the creepiest ghost stories that I've ever heard. My father recalled that as the ceremony was in progress, he moved to the rear of the chapel where there was a staircase that led to a viewing gallery to reposition his camera on a tripod when he heard a commotion amongst the congregation. He saw that a number of people had turned around in their seats and were gasping and pointing towards the viewing gallery above. The priest officiating stopped the service and said, There is a young man in distress in the gallery above. Can someone please go up and assist him? As my father was closest, he was the first to respond and immediately made his way up the winding set of stairs. Before he reached the first turning, he heard the clatter of footsteps coming from further ahead. My father began to feel very apprehensive at this point, not knowing who or what he might encounter ahead. As he turned the corner, he saw a door at the top of the stairs and an old lady who started hastily to descend the stairs and move towards him. He assumed that she was trying to get away from whatever was going on. She appeared to be a fairly unremarkable old lady, but for her unusually thick-rimmed spectacles. As she drew closer, he noticed that she was taking pains not to make any physical contact hugging the side of the wall to manoeuvre around him. As my father walked down the steps into the gallery, he saw a young boy of 11 or 12 years of age in a very distressed state, hands over his face, near to the edge of the balcony. My father grabbed the boy to safety and was then assisted by another gentleman, a guest at the ceremony and a local taxi driver who arrived to help. The boy was taken downstairs and out of the building by this gentleman, after which the wedding ceremony resumed. At the end of the ceremony, my father approached the gentleman and asked him what on earth had upset the boy so much. The gentleman told my father that the boy was unwell and he regularly claimed to see his deceased grandmother. My father asked the gentleman 
if he had seen her on the stairs as he made his way up, but he said he had not seen anyone other than my father. My father said that he had seen an old lady on the stairs, which seemed to startle the gentleman. The gentleman then told my father that his daughter happened to know the boy's family and had been in hospital recovering from an operation six months previously when the boy's grandmother was admitted to the same ward and had died from a terminal illness. My father asked if it might be possible for him to speak to his daughter to get a description of the old lady. She would later tell my father that she looked like a normal old lady, but for her very thick-rimmed spectacles. My father, sensing that something supernatural had occurred, was undeterred in gathering evidence to corroborate this. He approached the priest and one of the altar boys to ask them what they had seen from the vantage point of the altar. The priest said that he had only noticed the distressed boy when he was at the edge of the balcony. When my father quizzed the priest about whether he had seen anyone else on the gallery, the priest became irritated at the suggestion and said there was no one there but the boy. An altar boy told my father that he had seen the boy walking backwards with his hands in front of his face. When asked if he saw anyone else on the gallery when this was occurring, the boy said no. He further remarked that when the priest asked someone to go up to assist the distressed boy, he saw the gallery door open by itself, but nobody went through it. Upon hearing this, my father was convinced that he had seen a ghost and that there was more truth to the boy's encounter than people realized. My father had seen what appeared to be this boy's deceased grandmother, or something presenting itself as his grandmother. Not content to let it go and feeling sorry for the boy, my father obtained the family address and decided to make an impromptu visit to see how he was doing. He was graciously invited in by the family, and after explaining that he had been present at the incident that had occurred at the wedding service, he just turned up to see if the boy was okay. He was told by the family that the boy had been under medical supervision due to the stress of the alleged sightings of his grandmother. It was clear that no one believed him and assumed he was either unwell or making it up. My father asked the boy in the presence of his parents what had occurred to make him so fearful that he might have jumped over the balcony. He said that he had gone to the gallery to get a better view of the wedding when his grandmother appeared and began to frighten him by making hideous faces which put him into such a state of terror that he was desperate to get away from her. He became upset, saying no one believed him. My father told the boy that he believed him, as he had seen an old lady leaving the gallery. This seemed to shock the boy's parents, but offered their son some validation that he was indeed not mad. My father then asked the boy if he had seen his grandmother since the incident at the chapel, whereupon he burst into tears and said that she had appeared to him again the week before. Not wanting to cause any further stress, my father wished the boy and his family well and left. This remains one of the creepiest stories I've ever heard. Claire
Claire, what a story to ponder on. I can imagine this must have been a really unsettling experience for your father and for you to hear. The absolute terror of the spirit of the grandmother pulling these terrifying faces at her own grandson, seemingly haunting him, poses uncomfortable questions. Was this the spirit of the boy's grandmother? Or was it something else malign in the benign form of the grandmother? Absolutely fascinating tale, and I hope the young boy eventually found some peace too. Listeners, we would love to hear your take on this story. Please get in touch and let us know. And now, on to our next story from Siobhan. I've been listening to your podcast since coming late to the podcast party this year. I love them all and thought I would share a strange experience I've had of my own. Now, I'm not sure what category this would come under. Haunting? Ghosts? Or just unexplainable and strange? In 2017, whilst heavily pregnant with our fourth child, my husband and I were searching for our first proper home together. Being our first home, it was hard within our very tight budget to find a new or even livable home big enough for all our children to have their own rooms. It was a complete stroke of luck when I saw a small bungalow for sale and decided to check out the listing online. To my surprise, this little fisherman's cottage in the heart of our Highland city was not only within our price range, but it had six bedrooms, two lounges and a large back garden. I couldn't believe that it hadn't been snapped up and we rushed to put our offer in. It was accepted within the day. Hooray, we thought. It didn't take long for strange things to start happening, however. Now this would come as no surprise that the building had history. It had stood for a couple of hundred years, a stone-built cottage that over the years had been extended, lived in by families and just prior to our purchase, a multi-occupancy home. Every door had a Yale lock and the layout was disjointed and odd with dead spaces I was keen to explore. I love DIY and was excited to make the house a home for our growing family. Whilst still pregnant, I started having an extremely disturbing and very vivid dream. Dreams like this are common in pregnancy, night terrors, etc., but this dream was about our home, and even to this day, I feel as though there is truth to it. In this dream, I'm in the house and will be exploring, either through a long corridor or the attic, but in a place or area I don't remember being there. I open a door into a beautifully decorated room, traditional wallpaper, decor, teak woodwork, like a stately home. I'm filled with excitement. I can't believe what I've found in our home. Then suddenly, as I step into whatever room this is, this horrific feeling of dread descends. That feeling you get when your life is falling apart. You're in serious and immediate danger. Something terrible is about to happen, and you don't know what. But you just have to get out of that room. You step back, close the door, 
the feeling subsides and you are heartbroken and frustrated. You know that beyond that door is another room with another bathroom, kitchen, lounge, but you can't go in. You can never enter because if you do, whatever it is that you fear will actually happen or appear and you are terrified and wake up. How strange. Randomly, I would have this dream over the next few years and every time I would be surprised that once again I was finding this other house. After a while, when I'd be dreaming, I'd realize what was about to happen and wake myself up. It didn't help. However, I still woke with the same feeling of terror and disappointment. We also had some pretty active poltergeist activity. Chairs against the inside of my little boy's room, making it difficult to open. Running above our heads when all the children were asleep in bed. Missing items that would reappear in places we had searched. A couple of years after my little boy was born, we welcomed our daughter on the 23rd of March, 2020. Lockdown day. In the evenings, I would feed her in her room before putting her down for the night. She was a fussy baby that was difficult to settle. One evening, during one of her inconsolable crying fits, she stopped suddenly, stared at the space behind me, smiled, and fell fast asleep. It was so strange that I actually woke her to make sure she was okay. Every night after that, she would be staring over my shoulder, staring at someone or something, and would smile and then fall asleep. A rather helpful ghost, if that's what it was. Another evening I was fast asleep. I'm a very heavy sleeper, and my husband always woke to the children before I would. This evening, I heard someone shout my name in my ear. I woke in a fright, looked over at my sleeping baby, and noticed her mouth was full of milk and sick, and she was choking. I quickly turned her and comforted her before settling her back to sleep. I swear this was again a helpful spirit looking out for our children. I dread to think what would have happened if I hadn't been woken so suddenly. Now finally, back to the dream. Almost a year ago, my husband and I hosted a garden party. I mentioned my reoccurring dream to my friend and others standing around. I was describing the dream when suddenly my husband said, and there's another house on the other side of the door. I looked at him shocked and I said yes, but, and he cut me off again but you can't go in because something will happen. It's terrifying. I said yes again. Wait, have you been having this dream too? My husband now looks scared. He isn't one for the supernatural, but I could tell he was so freaked out. He confirmed, the rooms are ugly and old. I said, well, in my opinion, they are gorgeous and traditional. Clearly a difference of opinion on decor but we had been having the exact same dream. I have to say, I love my home. Mischievous moments of items and the life-saving spirits make it a home we will never leave. 
I just can't explain the dream me and my husband shared, or what it means, and how it relates to our new, old home. But we're going nowhere. Thank you for reading. Siobhan And now it's time for the grand finale of this episode. Press pause, make yourself a cocoa, and buckle up as we take a journey back to a cold, rainy airfield somewhere in 1940. Or is it? Are you ready for Flight in Time? Hello there. I love your podcast and particularly enjoyed the episodes on time slips. It's a subject that has always fascinated me, and it has prompted me to write in to tell you about a potential time slip that happened to my grandfather during World War II. My granddad, Leslie Smith, was in the RAF during the war. He worked as a mechanic and engineer on the planes at various airfields in the UK. Despite the struggles and stresses of wartime, it was obvious that his time in the RAF was one of the happiest times of his life. He was always full of stories about the war and it was impossible to talk to him without him launching into a wartime tale. One of the stories he often shared was the strange account of what sounds like a time slip. It's worth mentioning at this point that my granddad was a very down-to-earth, matter-of-fact kind of man, not prone to over-dramatization or flights of fancy. He shared this story with me, my brother, my mum, who is his daughter, and my dad many times over. This is the story. My granddad and his friend were working at an airfield, and for one or two nights they were sent to be temporarily stationed at a different airfield to cover some work. This was at Woodhill Spa. It was an atrocious night, very cold, wet and windy. It was night time when they arrived, Freezing cold and soaked through, they decided to go and get a warm drink at the NAAFI before they went to sign in with the commanding officer. As it was late and they were unfamiliar with the layout, they weren't sure where to go, so they flagged down a military jeep that was passing and asked where the NAAFI was. The driver told them to hop in and he would drive them to it. They got to the NAAFI and went inside. It was bright, warm, and a welcome place to shelter out of the cold and wet conditions outside. They each had a cup of tea and a bowl of stew, and sat at a table by the window while they ate their food and warmed themselves up. Nothing felt weird and nothing was noticeably amiss. Out of the window, they noticed two airmen walking on the airfield, presumably returning from a flight. They thought no more of it, and when their bellies were full and they were suitably warmed up, they headed out to sign in to the sleeping quarters and headed to their bunks. The next day, they decided to head over to the NAAFI again, either for breakfast or a cup of tea during their break. But the NAAFI wasn't there. I can't remember if my granddad said that it wasn't there at all, or whether there was a dilapidated building where it should have been. What is accurate to say, however, is that the building they had been in the night before 
was not there as they had experienced it. Assuming they had just been disorientated the previous night and misjudged the location, they asked other airmen where it was. To their horror and confusion, they were told, Oh no, the NAAFI went a long time ago. There is no NAAFI on this base anymore. Realizing something weird had happened, they asked about the two airmen they had seen returning from their flight. They were met with a serious quizzical look and were told, quite gravely, that their flight had come down and both pilots were killed. Grandad and his friend went cold. What had they seen and what era were they in? Something I remember about the story, which my parents and brother do not, is a detail about the runway lights. I can't remember which way around it was, but either the runway lights were on when they got there and they found out later that this was impossible, or they were off and they were later told that was impossible, as they were all on. I've a feeling the lights were on, hence them being able to see the airmen, and they were told next day that the base had been in total darkness. Years later, when my mum was about 10 years old, 1961, her dad, my granddad, drove their family back to the airfield to have a look around. It had been a lovely sunny day driving there, but as soon as they arrived at the overgrown grassy site, the weather just changed. Dark, nasty-looking clouds appeared and a cool breeze started getting up. As my granddad was looking around at the few bits of derelict buildings that were left, my mum and her sister told their mum, my grandma, that they were really, really cold. She told granddad that they decided they should go. He was quite sad to leave, disappointed the visit had been cut short. He picked a flower from between the concrete cracks near to where they had parked the car and attached it to the bumper. We set off slowly and my mum and her sister noticed it had fallen off. So Grandad got out of the car, attached it again. It fell off again. By this time, it had started thundering and lightning. And my grandma said, I think we should get out of here. There was definitely an unwelcoming, spooky feeling. Even as young children, my mum said she and her sister could feel it really strongly. My grandma didn't like the feeling at all whilst they were there and wanted to get them out of there as quickly as possible. The flower tumbled along behind the car in an unnatural fashion, as if it was telling them to go away. My mum, her sister and parents often talked about that for years afterwards, and she says she can still feel how it felt now when she thinks back to it. So... That's the story of the Phantom NAAFI. My granddad told it to us again and again as it left a very clear impression on him and he never over-embellished or changed it. He just told us the same story as if he was still trying to get his own head around it. I wish I could ask him more details about it now, but he died 20 years ago. The account above has been put together from my own recollection of the story along with the recollections of my brother and parents, who I asked independently so they wouldn't be influenced by each other's account of the tale.
apart from the odd detail, our recollections all marry up. I hope you found that interesting. I have other things I keep meaning to write into you about for listeners' stories, but here's the time slip story for now. Best of luck with the ongoing podcast. It's really great and one of my absolute favourites. Best wishes, Claire Tootle. Claire later emailed to confirm that it was indeed Woodhall Spa and an update about a recent visit there. Hi Steve, I hope you're well. I just thought I'd give a little update on the time slip story. My parents have just spent the weekend in Lincolnshire. They wanted to visit some of the old airfields. As they entered Woodhall Spa this week, my parents bumped into a lady who was lovely and seemed to know everything there is to know about airfields. They had a good chat and my mum told her of the time they visited when she was a little girl and what a strange atmosphere had descended upon them. The lady said that the same has been reported of many airfields, that a really oppressive and eerie atmosphere can suddenly envelope visitors and has been reported by many people, not just at Woodhall Spa. It made me wonder, are airfields so charged with the emotions, fears, anxieties and adrenaline of hundreds of airmen, those who survived and those who didn't, that it has left its imprint? If so, does such an energy become conducive to the possibility of time slips? One to ponder, I guess. Many thanks, Claire. One to ponder indeed. And that, I'm afraid, is the end of the listeners' stories. And what a collection we have had. And if you have any thoughts, theories or similar experiences to any of these stories, then we would love to hear from you. Let us know on Twitter at HauntedUKPod. Include the hashtag HauntedUKPodcast and we can start a conversation going. Alternatively, let us know on Instagram at HauntedUKPodcast. Drop us a message or even a voice note. We love hearing your stories and opinions. A massive thank you to everyone who has kindly shared their experiences in this episode and series. It's hugely appreciated and I'm tremendously grateful. We are now taking a quick break to prep for Season 5, but not to worry, we will return before Christmas. In the meantime, we would like to wish you a very happy Halloween. Enjoy the many rusty leaves falling slowly returning to the earth, the abundance of late summer fast thinning, just like the veil between the living and the dead. And it's true, this All Hallows' Eve, you might be closer than you think to a glitch in time, a spirit with a contorted face. Perhaps you can't see them, but they can see you. Or maybe a dream you can't quite escape from. Or a phantom demonic dog resting at the bottom of your bed. You think it's a dream, but suddenly in a flash of malevolence, it snarls. And you realize in horror, 
that it's very real and that the next person to feature in a listener's story could be you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episodes. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, title it Listener Story, so it's easier for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost respect and privacy, and if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at Pink Flamingo Home Studios in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you'd like to know more about the studio or have any questions, then please get in touch via email at pinkflamingo.homestudio at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.homestudio at hotmail.com. Or why not follow the studio on Instagram at pinkflamingohomestudio. For a list of all research sources which we found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast? Want to hear something weird? If your answer to this question is never anything other than, um, yes, of course, keep on listening. I'm Chaya Samuel, host of the Strange But True Stories podcast, Things Are About To Get Weird. Each episode, I tell you a different bizarre tale, covering everything from true crime and unsolved mysteries to the paranormal. I dive deep into cases full of odd coincidences, shocking twists and mind-boggling conclusions. Our first three episodes alone featured everything from one of the most fascinating cases of the incredibly rare condition, folie de or shared psychosis that I've ever heard, to a record-breaking survival story and an unexplained case of mass hysteria. We're now inching closer to our 50th episode, with recent instalments examining the reincarnation story of the Pollock sisters, the hauntings at a former asylum in Liverpool, and the mysterious disappearance of newlyweds Bessie and Glenn Hyde. Things Are About To Get Weird is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you're partial to a scroll on the Spotify podcast charts, you may have spotted our logo on the True Crime chart where we've taken up residence over the past few months. All thanks to our incredible listeners. If you'd like to join us, just search for Things Are About To Get Weird on your podcast player of choice. I would love to have you along for the ride. Until then, be sure to keep it weird, but the good kind of weird. <laughs>